Hey friends, welcome to the show. Before we get to the interview with Maha Wilson, do you enjoy free podcasts? If so, head to comingupnext.com.au. You'll find the entire back catalogue of this show, Philosophical Rambles with the World's Top Creatives, for free. And, uh, and if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, click on iTunes, Stitcher or Podbean links, or you can go on Spotify and look up Coming Up Next. And uh, at each of those places, you'll find a button to subscribe to the show. You subscribe to the show and it's going to download for you each and every week, thought-free, so you'll be able to enjoy the latest podcast rambles that are coming up next. Welcome to another philosophical, podcasty, tangential ramble. Hello, friends. This is Alistair Marks. This is my show. This is coming up next, the podcast. And uh, I wanted to thank Scott Ryan for joining me last week. If you're not already on to Mr. In Between, you should uh, definitely check it out on uh, on Showcase uh, on demand. If you've got the Foxtel, you have multiple ways to do it inside Australia. And uh, if you want a behind-the-scenes look at how he went from making the feature film The Magician through to Mr. Inbetween, uh, you can find it at comingupnext.com.au. Maha Wilson joins me for a ramble today. Maha is an actor, a Sydney-based actor, um, who came to Australia from Iraq with her family when she was six. Uh, she has uh, an extraordinary story, um, which she very kindly shares with us today. Uh, we talk about her kind of journey to Australia. Uh, we talk about her starting life as an actor and, and what that meant um, for her and for her family. We talk about the usual kind of philosophical musings in tangential fashions. So let's get into it. Coming up next with Maha Wilson. Have you always lived in Sydney? I have. I have always lived in Sydney. I came from Iraq originally, so I came over with my family when I was six six years old. Right. As a refugee. Um and it wasn't an easy beginning, but um, I'm super grateful with everything and how we all turned out today. So life's looking good. Do you, do you remember that period of, of your life, the first sort of six years? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, it was a lot of – actually, it's so funny. I was talking to someone about it today. Um, I think that I may have some old um, – PTSD stuff that might have recently surfaced, um, which I was trying to sort of, you know, push under the rug. Um, a lot of war. Um, I was, I think, I was between four and six. So it was the Gulf War in 1991. So I do have a lot of those memories, unfortunately. Um, yeah, which makes it, you know, it's a little bit hard to talk about, but obviously it's a podcast. We're going to talk. So. <laughs> I mean, is, um, there, is there, what what was it, if you don't mind sharing, that um, that sort of triggered your thought of maybe having some PTSD? Um, it's so funny because I set out not to talk about PTSD today, but it's, it's all good. 
Um, I think um, I've been, you know, as we do, I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, self-assessment, I suppose, um, personal development stuff. And I think I've been going into a lot of my creative endeavours with, with quite a little bit of fear and I just didn't quite understand or be able to pinpoint a specific situation in my life where I, you know, where that's sort of come from. And I, you know, I was just doing some reflecting and I thought it's it's got to be something with that, you know, you, especially living through war in your formative years between, you know, being a baby to when you're six. Um, there are studies and stuff that show they are your formative years and that's sort of what develops your personality and all that stuff. So, so I think constantly living in fear and constantly having to look over, you know, over your head and seeing if there's, if the building next door is going to blow up, um, sort of, you know, did some con- conditions, some sort of things in my body or in my brain, as you, however you want to call it. Yeah, that sounds uh, very intense. Yeah, it is intense. And the funny, like, not funny, it's actually not funny at all, but on the <laughs> flip side and on the, on the, on the, you know, the, you know, practice gratitude side and all of that, we, we, my family, so my mum, my dad, my brother and my sister have been so, 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 so lucky um, you know, traveling for 15 months or whatever illegally, and then finally, you know, coming into Australia, um, being helped by churches and nuns and charities, and, um, you know, particularly the Smith family and all of those sort of organizations having their help and their support and getting us into school and getting us into education and teaching us how to pay a bill and teaching us how to speak English. Um, on the flip side, we are so, 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 so lucky so lucky um unfortunately a lot of a lot of families that we knew didn't quite get out get out on the other side the way we did so so yeah do you remember what the process was of of actually coming to australia um yeah so uh, when the airports in iraq were sort of all um it became a no-fly zone um so we couldn't fly out anywhere so we had to um you know, pack up whatever we could and we moved over to Jordan um, by foot and then to Bulgaria, uh, to Turkey, to Greece. Um, We crossed rivers. We had people smugglers take pretty much everything. Um, We, there were a lot of families, unfortunately, that that drowned um, or starved to death or froze in the Bulgarian woods or so yeah, there was a, there was a lot of that, you know, hitchhiking in in army trucks and and whoever could just take us and and having that trust in people that they weren't going to turn us in or dob us in um, is is quite a lot of what I remember personally. Um, and just just watching mum and dad sort of have having to to bargain with their belongings or whatever little belongings they had, um, and everything just being lost in the water and um, yeah, all, all all that stuff. So. Uh, wasn't an easy way to sort of begin, you know, to begin life. Yeah. Um, my sister was a, was a baby. Um, a lot of health problems and stuff came out uh, after that, just simply due to, uh, I suppose, you know, malnutrition or, or um, you know, the constant weather changes or the snow or having to live in a little in a little man-made cottage that a few, you know, families, a few men in the families had to build while we while we rested overnight in the middle of the woods and hearing these wild bears sort of, you know, on the outside and the men having to hold the doors open to make sure those bears don't come in and <laughs> or those wolves or whatever. So, 
um, you know, a lot of uh, campfires and uh, remember we had these biscuits. So the only thing, because we'd crossed a lot of water and stuff, and the only thing that we that would really survive in those sort of conditions were little individually wrapped biscuits. Um, and every time I see those sort of biscuits in like an office or whatever, it just takes me straight back to there because that's literally what we ate. What a strange kind of, what a strange juxtaposition <laughs> in uh, in terms of like having them in an office or having them as a survival. Mm, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like a tr- a treat here, but but um, in in that sort of um, situation, it was it was um, it was it was dinner. It was how long can it was will this biscuit get ruined um, in the water or you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, or are we going to have to all fight each other for the last one? Or so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I say yes, but I really have no sense of what that would be like. Um... <laughs> and you know what? And, and you don't ha- like that's the thing that you don't have to, you you don't need to, um, because you didn't you didn't live through it. I mean, I'm sure you had your own sort of um, issues or your own sort of obstacles as you grew up, and and it's all relative and. And um, that, that's the thing, you know, some people sort of almost apologise about not, not knowing or being able to relate to that sort of thing. But it's like, well, why would you if you didn't need to, mm. you know? So, yeah, everyone has their own sort of demons and everyone has their own, um, their own journey and there is absolutely no judgement at all to, you know, for anyone who sort of doesn't understand that world or able to relate to it. Was there a sense for you of what was what was happening or was it just sort of I mean when you're a kid and your parents tell you to do something you just kind of do it and you just accept that that's just the current circumstance there's not really a, mm. a sense that like something is different to what it should be um yeah actually there was because there because before that it wasn't about surviving it was about living um and and that was the difference, I think. So so when they told you to do something, when my parents told me to do something, or the, the, you know my brother or my sister to do something, it was a matter of life or death, and you did not want to do anything that would put them in a compromising position, or or because you knew that they were doing everything they possibly can in that situation. So it was literally fight or flight um, the whole way. So there was never really a, a sigh of relief. I suppose there was in a, in a sense of when you'd find your new little refuge or when you find, you know, your new little haven while you rest for a while. But you knew that it wasn't going to end until we literally boarded that plane and landed in Australia and, and started fresh and got away from all of that. Yeah. And what, were yeah. You, what, what did your parents, uh, what did they do in, uh, in Iraq? <laughs> Uh, my father was a lawyer and a flight attendant, so most of his job was being a flight attendant for 15 years. So as you can imagine, working in the airlines and then having that all um, destroyed or, uh, you know, um, completely wrecked was was quite was quite a big deal for him. Um, <clears throat> and my mum worked in account uh, in, as an accountant in film and TV and radio and stuff. So, so they were all, you know, um, they were all great before all that. And life was was peachy until the war. So, yeah, and we we're very, very well off. We we're very comfortable, um, very loved, very, very amazing childhood, amazing parents, um, amazing family and friends, and you know. 
So, yeah. Does, is there a, like a feeling of kind of almost, uh, is there an almost surreal feeling about that time of your life in the sense that it would feel so far removed from your life now? Absolutely, because I, for a while, and, and when, particularly when I started school, um, it's when I started primary school here in Australia, um, I was very, once I'd learnt that not everybody had been through the same thing, I became very self-conscious and very um, kind of turned inwards and I I didn't quite understand why my sister and my brother and I were the only ones who couldn't make a gold coin donation to Mufti Day, so to speak, or why we couldn't, why we had, you know, old secondhand jumpers, but everyone else had brand new jumpers, or why we'd have to call in sick when an excursion came up because we couldn't pay for it. You know what I mean? So, so it, it was, and so it, how I dealt with that was I actually tried to assimilate as soon as, as soon as possible um, and wanted to become as Australian as, as ever. Um, and so a lot of that was, was um, put aside. And then it's sort of as I grew up and in my early 20s, it sort of started to come back and I've just gone, oh, my God, hang on a second. There is some shit that I haven't dealt with. Yeah. Sorry, can I say shit? Yeah. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had this, like, like, big light bulb moment and I'm like, hang on a second, something's not right here. I think I may have been through something that, mm, you know, I mean, as if the whole not speaking English wasn't a giveaway, <laughs> but, but, but I, I, yeah, I think that's when I sort of went, okay, um, let's not let this cripple you. Let's not let, you know, disadvantage sort of shape you. Um, let's, let's find a way to just come out on top and, and more than just come out on top. Let's find a way. I mean, if we could, if we could survive what we went through and if, if, if we could get through what we did, then what else is out there that, that, you know, that I can accomplish. So I kind of just, I switched it. I tried to switch it um, as best I can. I, uh, I remember speaking with um, someone that you've done a, a fair bit of collaborating on on this show, uh, Osama Sami, and he... Yes, um, he's, my on-screen hubby. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he told me about all of these culture shocks that he had, which actually kind of feature in that film that you're referencing, um, Ali's Wedding. Mm. But he yeah. he told me about a lot of the kind of culture shocks he had moving to Australia. Did you have a similar, I mean, aside from the sort of language barriers and um, and things like that? Yeah. Nature, was there, were absolutely. there any? Absolutely. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that comes to mind is that the, the, <laughs> is the fact that after school boys and girls could actually hang out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I remember this one time and, and I had this knock on my door and it was um and I had it was it was it was crazy because I had just started to finally make friends because I was bullied a lot and then oh god don't even go there when September 11 happened it undone undid everything that I had worked for because all I wanted to do was be like I am not and it look it sounds like it sounds honestly it was the only choice I had and it doesn't sound like it was a nice thing to do but I just wanted to forget about where I came from I just wanted to be like everyone else. And so this one afternoon I had a knock on the door after school and 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 um my father answered it and it was a boy and he was <laughs> and and he was like he was asking if I was home. And I just remember sweating and hiding and just hiding in my room going, Oh my 
God, my dad's going to get the belt out. I'm going to get into so much fucking trouble. And I just was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so all this fear was constant, like always built, you know, built up. And then, and then my dad came over and got me and he's like, hey. And he's like, oh, your friend's here from school. And I was like, oh, that's it? <laughs> that's it? Oh, okay, cool. And he was on his bike and then a couple of other girls showed up um, at my door and, I, I, again, I had just they had just accepted me into their group. So I was like, oh, God, this is make or break. If my father loses his shit here, then then I am done. I am done. Like, good, just good luck to you. And so they all come up on their bikes and then I was like, oh, Dad, we're just going to go and ride our bikes together. And he's like, okay. And I was like, um, okay. So I, I, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, later on there was the, the, the more culture shock, as, as you referred to, was probably about – more having about having a boyfriend or like hanging out after school and going to discos. So I did get myself into a fair bit of trouble doing that. Hmm. Um, but it's only like now in hindsight, it's like it's only because they didn't know any better. Do you know what I mean? Now it's like I've, I've had boyfriends and I've had boyfriends sleep over and it's like and, and you know, and, and all that stuff. And I drink alcohol and, you know, party. I don't even live at home anymore and, I think at the time it was more about the fear and I think as, you know, from my parents' point of view, it, it was a struggle for them to adapt because they knew a way and then all of a sudden they had to sort of meet somewhere in the middle and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I mean, I've got flashback to the night where I had alcohol at my 16th birthday party and it was, yeah, turned into a hell, hell hole. So, yeah, right. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Oh, uh, so my mom, so I told my mom that, you know, mom, everyone drinks, you know, and, and, um, and so she snuck me a couple of vodka cruises into my bedroom, um, to, for my party for me to go and sneak in and have some. And then my dad found out and then I literally, I got into lots and lots of trouble. So, mm. <laughs> cause I got a bit drunk <laughs> <laughs> and there was a boy that I had a crush on, of course, at at that night and he heard my dad yell at me. So I was super embarrassed. Um, but you know, they, they all just did that. My dad, my parents are amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just what happened. <laughs> and at what point did you discover the world of acting? Um, this is some, this is a, this is a, this question always baffles me because I, and it might sound really cheesy or cliche or whatever, but whatever. And so, so when I was, so when we were going through all the war and stuff, I, I all I did was imagine myself in another world, like in another land, and I chose creativity to escape from everything. So I learned how to sew. I learned how to sing. I learned how to play keyboard. I learned how to make. You know, when we got to Australia, I, I, I bought this. My dad bought me this video camera from a garage sale and it was massive, right? It was just, it was massive. It looked like you were carrying a VCR on your shoulder. And I, I learned to sort of make movies and and I think, I don't think there was ever a moment where I, 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 I said I wanted to be an actor. I just was fascinated by living in another, in another, um, in another place that wasn't my own a place where I could be what I wanted to be, a place where I could do what I wanted to do. And and that's the form that it came out in. It was just pure creativity, like sewing, like the sewing machine. And I don't know, I had so I learned how to sketch and draw and stuff like that. And all of that came simply from wanting to 
get out of the state of mind that I was in. Do you remember when the first time that you did perform was? Maybe it was uh, singing or something like that? Oh, my God. Um, oh. Yes, 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 I do. I was in year one, so I would have just gotten to Australia that year. And it was the end of the year and we had a carols by candlelight at school. And I knew all the words and no one else did. Don't ask me why. I hadn't even learned English, but I still managed to learn all the words. So, <laughs> so I, and God, I hope there's a video of this somewhere out there. Um, and so at the end of the year, when we were all sing the carols, there were these microphones that were supposed to be shared by everyone at the stage, like on the stage. And I would just keep getting closer and closer to the microphone just so I could be heard. <laughs> and um, and and I, obviously when you're doing that, you don't know how loud you really were. So it wasn't until afterwards that some that my parents were like, oh, my God, we're so proud of you. You were the only person that we could hear. And I was like, mm, yeah, shit, that wasn't kind of part of the plan. But I was I was literally seven, six or seven years old. So that was probably my first. And then... Um, I think a few years later I joined the choir at school and then the Australian Youth Choir came over to our school and started doing a little a little hunt for talent. And I think I was one of the, like the six people out of the whole school who got chosen to for a scholarship um, to join the Australian Youth Choir and then go and do that. Remember that song, I Still Call Australia? That, that yeah. it was to Isn't be a part of that, you know, that. Sorry? It was a Qantas ad, wasn't it? Yes, 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 yes. And it was during that time. And um, and if I had been in the Australian Youth Choir, I would have been in that commercial. So, so, but going back home and explaining that to mum and dad, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a singer. Guess what? I've been headhunted. No, nah, <laughs> it didn't go down. It didn't go down well. And um, the funny thing is I'd also been headhunted head to, to go to this academic school. This really, I, I was quite an intelligent child for my for my age I don't know what the hell happened in the last 10 years but um I got chosen to either be a part of the school choir the Australian Youth Choir or go to this academic school and my parents were like you have to go to the school you can't be in the choir you have to go to the school and I said but I've just started making friends please don't make me do this and they're like look we love you and support you and we'll you know you don't have to go to that school but there is no way you're going to go to the choir so my dreams were a bit shattered at that stage that was I was only in year six um, and yeah, I had to make up all these sorts of lies why I had to stay back after school to practice singing. So I don't know. I don't even know what kind of lies I made up, but, um, <laughs> I think I was saying I was doing extra homework or something. <laughs> That's a good lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and instead your dad yeah. bought you a video camera. Yes. And then, and then, you know, he bought a video camera cause he was quite fascinated by all that stuff too. And my sister and I would then, honestly, this was probably like, I was probably seven at this age. And actually, no, I was probably a bit older. I was probably about 10 by, by now. My sister was six. So we brought a video camera um, and we started making movies. And so every creative assignment I had in school was about making a music video or making a movie. And we, we'd use tomato sauce and we'd use black capes to show that, you know, you were the killer. And we played all the characters. That was the funny thing. <laughs> we played all the characters. And, 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 you know, my sister and I were absolute geniuses in the way we actually edited the thing because well, you couldn't edit. It was on this little DV thing, um, which then had to go into a VCR adapter thing, which then went into the VCR. So what we'd do is we'd, we'd record the lines of the other character, press pause, and then switch so reverse the camera to the other guy and then 
resume recording from then so that it actually looked like it was edited and it was a different shot. So that was the way we edited edited our films. Um, And, yeah, we just thought we were absolutely (laughs) – we thought we were the smartest things in the world. So (laughs) – I mean, I, and and the, it's so funny because the timing is great because I it was literally just on Sunday that I was at my parents' house, and guess what box I pulled out of the little storage thing, and it was all the little tapes that we'd made um, when we were younger. So I think I'm ready to watch them finally. <laughs> it's funny. I actually, uh, when I was uh, in Melbourne recently, pulled out all How of these. How was that? It was great. Um, it was just there. Uh, working on um, a documentary that I've been working on forever. Yeah. But um, while I was there, I uh, found all these old home VHS uh, tapes. Oh, my God. And, um, I mean, they, they, they're not, uh, I guess they're not like homemade movies, so to speak. They're like the kind of classic home videos. But um, going oh, through them all cute. and like converting them to digital was, was quite a trip because you kind of see a very clear progression um because all like they're like the first five years of my brother's birthdays are all uh videoed so you can see like from he's uh three or four years younger than me you can kind of see from whatever age uh that is through to you know him him turning five yeah it's quite a trip wow that's amazing and you've got all those videos at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I digitized them all while I was there as kind of my wow. moon, moonlighting job. Um, and I've just oh, been... Oh, wow. I've been like drip feeding them out to the family over the last <laughs> few oh. weeks. Amazing. Well, you have to let me know how you did that because I'd love to do the same. And I, I just don't know where to start. God. Um, I'll send you some uh, some links for the things that you need to get. Um, yeah, because because what I've got is these little little tiny cassettes that go into this little this this imagine like a a a, a, cas- a bigger cassette and it kind of goes into that machine which I don't have and then that goes into a, a VCR so it's like step three steps to it. Yeah, so it's either a mini DV or a um, beta. I think it is. If it's mini DV, that'll be easier. Anyway, we can talk about this. Uh, we can talk about this. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose circling back into where you found yourself, at what point uh, in your life? What, what what were your parents, or have your did your parents kind of take up doing when you landed in Australia? Um, good question. So we had a lot of help when we when we came here. Um, my dad went to TAFE and had to, I mean, despite the fact that he was a lawyer back at home and a, a flight attendant and he was also in the Iraqi army, despite all that, we couldn't, we didn't have anything with us. So we lost all our childhood photos. We lost all our documents that showed us, you know, showed our qualification, their qualifications and stuff. So they had to literally, when someone says, you know, I started from scratch, this was literally started from scratch. So, so you ha- they had to go and restudy everything. They had to go and learn English. Um, they had to, and you know, I mean, to me that, oh God, I can't even imagine what they would have felt at that point. So my dad went and studied English at TAFE. Mum just decided that her job was going to be to look after us kids. So she never actually, I think she worked maybe at a fruit store for a little while, but that didn't go down too well. She just wanted to be the typical, you know, Arab mother, just looking after the, the children. Um, dad went and studied English and he became an interpreter for a little while and he was helping other sort of refugees come and 
teach them all sorts of stuff at Centrelink and how to pay a bill and how to get a Medicare card and all that stuff. Um, and that didn't, that, that kind of lasted for a little bit. Um, and then he started working for Australia Post. He was literally a mailman sorting out mail and parcels and then delivering them the next day. He did that up until about a couple of years ago when he retired. So he did that for pretty much the whole time we've been here, which is about 26 years. Yeah, right. Have you ever asked him yeah. like what it was like going from what he was doing in Iraq? Obviously, the, the transition would have been quite challenging, but I could imagine he would have been so um, stimulated intellectually and, and, uh, and whatnot with the work that he was doing to then sort of come to Australia and have, and, and that just counts for nothing. Yeah, you know what? You just said to me, have you? Have I ever asked him? It wouldn't even be an answer. It, there's, there's a look. There's this look that he gives you and you just see everything that he's thinking and saying. And it's almost like this look that says, if only you knew, you know, if only you knew what a life we had. Um, how they were, my parents, when I say they were well off, they were very, very well off. Um, and, and, and like I said, honestly, there's no, there's no answer. He, my dad doesn't say anything. He, he just gives you a look that just goes, <laughs> you wouldn't know. Mm. You wouldn't know. Um, it's, I, 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 to be honest, maybe I, I avoided a little bit too, because my heart breaks. For yeah. Um, so Yeah. And so when did you, I suppose, acquiesce to your creative uh, desires and, and actually make the choice that you were going to pursue acting? Was it while you were at school? Was it after school? <clears throat> um, it was kind of all during. So I always wanted, I think I wanted, I think I wanted to be an actress since I was seven years old and, and I, I didn't really see any other way. So what I did was I lived a life of a phony person and I did everything else but acting because I sort of knew that it was my little secret. Um, so, and I knew that it would never sort of be allowed because it's like, it almost feels like, it almost feels like, you know, you're saying to your parents, oh yeah, despite what you did for us and everything that you went through, by the way, I'm just going to like go to Hollywood and become a star, you know, <laughs> like it's, it, it, that's what it felt like. It feels like an insult. It, it felt like don't you dare ever slap your parents in the face and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know how we got through that thing? Yeah, well, I'm now going to do this. It, it's, it's like I was in debt to them without them ever, ever, ever saying the words you owe me. So, so, um, so I couldn't tell them. I kept it a secret for a very long time. And then I, when I got to high school, I studied drama. I was in every play. I was always the lead in every play at school. Um. And I, and then I just said to mum and dad, I said, look, I'd really like to pursue acting, but I'm not. So, so I found something that could kind of be like an actress and, and, and so, and I ended up going to journal, studying journalism and I freaking hate journalism. I hate politics. I hate journalism. I don't even know who the current prime minister of Australia is. I don't care. I simply do not give a shit. So I went to study journalism and I went to TAFE first to study media and I did that because it was a sneaky way of learning how to make films and how to make, you know, learn about video production and all that stuff. And then that year of TAFE got me into um, into uni. So I went to Charles Sturt University. I thought if I'm going to go to the best school, 
uh, best university, I'm going to go to Charles Sturt because it's all known for its media studies and stuff. So I did that. Um, and I thought that I would be able to put that dream of acting to bed by doing that because I thought, you know what, I'll become a presenter. I'll, I'll be on TV. I'll become an anchor whatever. And and then I graduated and I it took me five years to finish a two-year degree. And the reason why it was a two-year degree was because I had that one year of TAFE, so they were able to take some time off. It took me five years. I failed everything. I remember this one with this one class um, and I failed, what was it? I think it was media politics or something like that. I failed it three times, three times, the same <laughs> subject. And I was just like, what is wrong with me? But, but you know, when it came to um, filmmaking and the acting sort of uh, workshops and the, those classes, I, I, I aced it. But media politics, um, print journalism, I think I failed twice, not three times, which is great. So like I said, five years to do a two-year degree, eventually graduated and went, oh, my God, I am so fucking miserable, so miserable. So I thought that if I give it, gave my parents a little certificate, then they, then that was it. And then I went to them and I said, hey, mum and dad, um, so, you know, I've graduated. And they're like, yeah, you know, awesome, congratulations. And then I was like, and anything else? And they're like, what? And I was like, I, did you want me to, to do journalism? And they're like, oh, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> and I was like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. So you're telling me that I could have just gone straight from high school to acting school and everything would have been fine. And they're like, yep. And I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is not good. <laughs> so, so I was, I was devastated. I was like, but I thought that you wanted me to get a degree. And they're like, well, look, now that you've got a degree, you've got something to fall back on. So go and do whatever it is that you want to do. So I was like, woohoo, you know, so I was free. Next day, I signed up at the at, at an acting school. Did that for about uh, three or four years. Um, you know, it was what it was. It was it was okay. Um, and I then just started working with different directors, one on one coaching to become an actress. And then I started doing short films. And I don't know, the rest is history. And it's been about eight years since I've been doing that. So, and oh my god, like if I had known how many dark moments there would be in this career, I probably would have thought twice about about entering it, that's for sure. Um, and, and it's not something I like to, you know, shy away from because I don't think it helps anybody, me keeping it a secret about how hard it is, but it's really it's really hard. It yeah. is so hard and, and especially if you've already got a bit of, you know, if you've already got a bit of doubt or fear, a bit of mental health stuff, it's it's freaking hard, man. It's yeah, it's hard. <laughs> when you say like uh, dark stuff, do you mean like kind of dealing with all the rejection, or do you mean like the sort of people that you need to hang out with? Like, what are you referring I, I to? I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it is the rejection. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is the rejection and the injustice of it, so to speak. And I say that in quotation marks because eh, no injustice is just the way it is. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's tough in the sense of sometimes it's just, sometimes it's not a numbers game. You know, they say, oh, you've got to go through 5,000 auditions before you get 10 or whatever it is. But I feel like 
I don't know, and I don't want to sound like a negative Nelly, but um, what am I trying to say? I think it's it's tough on your self-esteem, um, especially if you on a, on a, on on a level that you know you're so talented and you know that you could do so well. And and look, I don't mean to sound cocky, but I watch the TV sometimes and I go, I could do a, a million times better job than that person, and a lot of actors do. But you don't know the you you know you don't know the pressure that that actor was on. You don't know the timeline, or the time limit that they were on to get that scene shot. So, so I uh, yeah I think the rejection is a really sad part of it. Um, and the fact that people think just because you then have gotten a movie or you've gotten a really great role, they think that it gets easier. And and that that couldn't that is just the biggest lie because after that, you then end up going up against big names. Or you end up going against, um, there's just more competition. And they go, oh, but at least you're auditioning. And it's like, yeah, but it, but it's it's the same thing. You know, when you when you start off being an actor, you want a bit role. You get a bit role, you want a support role. You get a support role, you want a lead. You get a lead, you want a, a TV series. You get a TV series, you want a movie. You get a movie, you get a fucking block, you want a blockbuster. You want a blog, you get a blockbuster, you, get a, you want an Oscar. It's like. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't end. So so it's tough. I think uh, yeah, I think what you're saying, you know, the kind of the way that you start to look at um, success or the I guess the evolving idea of what it means to have made it or to have arrived as an actor kind yeah. of means that unless you have a certain uh, disposition or philosophical approach that yeah you're probably always going to feel like you you just want that next the thing that's slightly out of reach yeah <clears throat> yeah absolutely and 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 you know there are times where because no one really ever stays on one sort of level right if you if you if you kind of i don't know like for me i'm obviously there's so many highs and lows in the, in the industry but if you remained quite you know somewhere in the middle you'd be able to go oh yeah no this is all part of the journey but, but that's not realistic. You don't ever stay somewhere in the middle. I certainly don't ever stay somewhere in the middle. I struggle every single day. One, sometimes I'm so freaking high that, that you know, and sometimes I'm so freaking low. And, and, and it's like I, I wish – there are times where I pull myself up and I go, okay, you've done eight years. You know, they say it takes ten years to make it or it takes ten years to, to get, you know, the dream role or whatever. But the thing is – there are all there's all this other evidence not working with you that's working against you or that you feel is working against you because again i don't want to sound like a negative nelly and i don't want to discourage anyone from you know um giving it a shot i just it's so tough and 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 i i i remember like when i started when i started officially like professionally i was 22 so i auditioned for my first massive production when i was 22 what was and that? I think it was the show. I, I auditioned for Offspring for a, for a big role, and so I'm thirty, nearly thirty one next week, actually. So, um, so I, I just I feel like I don't know. I just you just I I don't know. To be honest, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I just feel. I like think it's it important gets... for the the, the people. Uh should understand or that that may not understand that there is a significant challenge in pursuing a, a creative uh, mm. career, especially something like 
being an actor or musician or things where in a sense you're you are relying on other people to validate your career choice oh i know and and if you're one of those people that that you know has enough validation within yourself and enough confidence then if yes like please go for it and and do it and and grab it with open arms and and that's where the trick is though most actors are insecure and most actors are looking for validation outside of themselves and we are so sensitive and there's this there's this thing out there that everyone and I I cannot stand it but everyone thinks actors are liars and it's like if only you knew how fucking far I have to reach right into the bottom of my heart to be able to portray this scene then you would never ever ever say that about an actor you Mm. know and and it just I get all a bit worked up over it to be honest because (laughs) it's like we are not liars we are showing you the complete opposite of a lie you know um so I get quite defensive and I completely relate to to uh, you know, and yeah, I just I think actors are really, really, really soft, amazing, giving people, um, and I love actors so much. I don't know. I, I think that's why I started these little these little classes with actors where we all just come together and and and, and we help each other. And sometimes it's therapy, and sometimes we go around the circle and cry, and and um, and I, we need support. You know, um, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's uh, a really great thing to to do because there is uh, that element of feeling quite isolated or quite uh, alone oh, yeah. if you're not, you know, if you're not working on something or if you're not doing um, doing classes or or whatever that's that may right. be. Um, that's right. What were your parents like when you when you got your first role on on TV or in a film? Um, they must have been very <laughs> excited. <laughs> Well, if you asked them, they'd be like, we don't know because she doesn't show us anything. (laughs) (laughs) Because the thing is, this is the other thing. It's like all the little roles that I had on TV and stuff, I, I, you know, I'd have like family in America ring up and say, oh, I saw your daughter in that show. And my dad would get really upset and he'd be like, what? We didn't know. And, and, and I'd have this. Thing and I and I'd pull myself aside. I said, Maha, what are you doing? Why aren't you telling your parents that you're doing this? They'll be proud of you. But there's this thing inside me that goes, no, 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 no. That's not the role you want to tell them about. Wait until you get a big, fat, juicy one. And I swear to you, Al, like when the big, fat, juicy role did come along, I still didn't say anything because I still never, ever thought it was enough. You know, with Ali's wedding, there were a thousand screenings that we went to and mum and dad would be like, why didn't you tell us about that? I'm like, oh, you know, because I didn't really, you know, I'm not a lead. And they're like, stop it, stop it. And my friends have told me to stop it. And I'm learning. No, actually, I'm not learning. That's a lie. I still didn't do it for a couple of TV shows I was in just a few months ago. <laughs> but, you know, it goes back to that thing where it's like I just I just want to make them proud. And I, I and, and maybe my measurement of, of being proud is probably a bit a bit off balance, but I, and I need to reassess that and do some work on my own. But I, I have this picture in my head that, I, you know, maybe I'll never get the thing where I, I don't know. I just want them to be happy. And I know that they're, and they always say to me, we don't care if you had a walk-on role and didn't say anything. We are so proud of you. We don't care if you were an extra. We are so proud of you. But it's inside me. It's a demon that I have to face and I have to own and, I have to be proud of and own and just say, hey, I had a 
you know, one episode on this show and it was fantastic and that's it. Because the only pressure that I'm putting on is myself. Was uh, was doing uh, Ali's wedding, I suppose, not only career-wise but culturally as well, did that feel like a watershed moment for you in your career? So I I actually went for the lead role. So I was I was... <laughs> I was very close to getting the lead role and I didn't. And so I was offered um, the, the, the the sort of secondary um, female role. So even to me, as, as anyone would have killed to be in my shoes, to me it still wasn't good enough. Mm. So so um, I, I think with Ali's I wanted more. Um, I thought I was going to get the bigger part. Um, and, and it didn't work out that way. And again, I'm super grateful that I was still involved because this movie is amazing and it's done so well and, and all that, but, but they're just the expectations I've put on myself. So, you know, I, I, there was always this longing for something more, which is, which I said before, there's always, you're always going to want more. And I think in that case, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm very, very, very proud of the movie, and I'm so lucky that the, you know, a thousand girls or whatever would have gone up for the role that I, you know, that I eventually got, which is amazing. But, but you honestly, deep down, when I go to bed at night, I always just wish that I, there was something more. I, I, I want to, you know, I want to lead the film. I want to be, yeah. I don't know. No, I understand, uh, and. It's probably funny in the sense that if things had gone the other way where you hadn't uh, auditioned for the lead and you'd you'd gone for the role that you ended up playing, then maybe you would have felt differently (laughs) about it. That's so funny. You hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. I would have just been like, oh, my God. I mean, it got to a point where when I – because I didn't actually audition for, um, for the role that I got. I, I auditioned for the uh, for the for the other role, and so when it was offered to me, I went into this state of shock, and I started sweating, and I rang my agent, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, they've made a mistake, they've made a mistake. This role is completely the opposite to what I went for. How can they just assume that I'm able to pull it off? Yes, I know I'm an actress, I get that, but but honestly, I said I can't do it. I I can't do it. I can't play this role. She's she's just so far from me. Um, and and my agent Anthony was like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, no, seriously, you need to get me out of this mess because I can't do it because I look like an ungrateful bitch. But you can, you can. I said, let someone else who can play that role and do it justice have that role. I said, Anthony, like, please, I I. I this there's a mistake. I I think they meant to say that I went for the other role and I didn't get it. Not oh he have another role instead without auditioning for it. So for the weeks leading up to shooting or the weeks leading up to the script read when I had to fly to Melbourne and do it, I could not sleep. I could not eat. I was stressing. I didn't want the part. I was I was a big 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 mess. And um, and then you know it, I suppose it kind of just worked out in the end. But I just didn't have any confidence in myself to do that role. And, and um, But, yes, if it was the other way around and I did all the work and I auditioned for that part specifically and then I got it, I would have been like having champagne showers everywhere. <laughs> so. <laughs> did, you know, yeah. uh, did you know Osama before you did the film? No, no, I didn't at all. 
and now we've become like best friends, absolute best friends. So how we, how the funny thing is I was still being, while I was, while we'd heard that they offered me that part, they had to obviously know that I spoke Arabic and that I wasn't, because, you know, a lot of actors would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I speak Arabic just to be considered. So we had to get on a call. So Osama lived in Melbourne. I obviously lived in Sydney. And we had to get on a conference call. And with, you know, I think the other producers were in the room or something like that. I don't remember. And I had to speak in full, fluent Iraqi Arabic. And Osama and I spoke like we came from literally the same village or something. You know what I mean? And and that's when we hit it off in that phone conversation when when I spoke his language and he spoke mine. Because there are so many types of Arabics, but we speak the same. And that's when that's when I went, oh, my God, there is another human being out there who speaks my Iraqi Arabic and is an actor. And we to this day, we say we're the boy and girl version of each other, like we're the versions of each other. So, yeah. <laughs> so then flew over, did a rehearsal, met him and, and, you know, rest is history. And what was the process like of shooting the film? Um because there's not too many uh, Muslim-based romantic comedies going around. That's right. Not only uh, in Australia but in the world. That's right. Uh, it was it was so much fun. It was so 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 much fun. Um, the people that we met and and um, and just I mean even for me I I'm not Muslim so I got to understand the culture and. And I got to under you know understand how it works and all the and how they have their little weddings and they have their pre wedding parties and and you know I am Iraqi but I'm Christian so there was a whole new world for me as well and the mosque world and how it would turn into like this big um, uh, play and all this sing and singing and dancing and stuff but it, yeah it was so much fun um, I, you know everyone says oh when you do a film when you do a play whatever it becomes like a family you really 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 do and and then. And then that's when the highs and lows start because when you're shooting, you're so so high, and then and then at the at the end of the, it's, you can feel it coming to an end, and you just start to sort of go lower, and you could everyone's going to have to eventually fly back to their own states, and and we won't see each other until at least a year when the film's done, and then the lead up to the film happens, and everyone's just like super high again, and the premiere comes, and everyone's super high again, and then the end of the premiere comes down, and then you're like, oh, I'll see you in a few months for the next one. And it was just a constant up and down and up and down and up and down. But I, I did have to wear a very, very heavy wedding dress and it was about 44 degrees or something that day in <laughs> Melbourne. And um, and we were shooting in this tiny, tiny little Porsche um, and I was in the back seat with Osama and I think it was um, his brother at the front seat. And it was so small and we were dripping in sweat to the point where we got delirious and just started saying dirty jokes throughout the whole thing. Huh. So, yeah. Classic summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah. And, and, and how was the reaction for you when the film did come out and, and you were doing all of the screenings and at all the festivals and then you got a theatrical release? And Oh, my God. I, that feeling of when we, were, when we opened at State Theatre um, was was the most surreal thing for me. Um, it was like, are you serious? Was this the thing that you didn't want to do? <laughs> yeah, this thing that you were like, no, no, get me out of this mess, Anthony. Is that the thing that you? <laughs> it was. It was. Look, it was never. A, uh, I knew the film was going to be was going to be an amazing production, but I don't think any one of us anticipated that it would do that well. We were all just as shocked, and when we won that award at Cinefest. 
um, the biggest Australian prize, you know, award for any film. It was, it was a shock to all of us. So we were discovering it all along the way, just like everybody else was. There was no little nudge behind before the event going, yeah, you know, you got this. There was no like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, let's just get real. This film is amazing. No, there was none of that. We were just discovering it, going with it as we go. Maybe people were, I don't know, other people knew that. I, I, I don't know. But I certainly didn't. I was just like, yeah, cool. We've got a Sydney Film Festival screening. Then it turned into a Melbourne Film Festival screening. Then it turned into Newcastle. Then it turned into this. And then it turned to Chicago. And then it turned to Croatia. And um you know Egypt and yeah it was no absolutely not did not expect it would do that not because not because it wasn't an amazing production with some wonderful people especially director Jeffrey Walker he's freaking amazing and the producers and all that it wasn't because of that it was just simply because it was bigger than my bigger bigger than a world that I knew so I didn't anticipate it and off the back of that I did notice that you've actually started uh, working a little bit behind the camera as well. Yeah, so it wasn't so much after that. It was something that I'd done when I was 22. I, I produced a film um, and directed it, and and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And um, I did that simply because I wanted to create more opportunities. And um, Did you edit it, it uh, properly or did you set the camera and do some lines and then change the camera and do more? No, lines? it was all... <laughs> done legit i promise we had a real dop and we actually had i uh, not i we had um a day premiere or whatever <laughs> not i mean definitely not no it was all legit and we had a few screenings we made it to sydney indie film festival we made it to liftoff film festival um and then after that i guess maybe the the i don't know i think confidence is a big theme in our conversation tonight because i still don't know if I, that was an escape for me did i choose to go behind the camera because i didn't trust in my own abilities in front of the camera or did I do it simply because I wanted to create more opportunities or, you know, I, I mean, I'm in the film too. So I think there was a deeper sort of desire to be in a thing that I had control over and what this industry doesn't give you is control. So, so that's why I, I did that. And, and, you know, I think in the future I will definitely start creating some of my own work again, um, but not in a director's um, I don't think I'll do it in a director's position or a producer's position. More like, um, I suppose, more as a producer and a creator. Um, yeah, but not directing. I, 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 not that I don't love it. I think I could direct other people, but definitely not directing something that I'm in. Mm, it's a very challenging sort of oh, position yeah. to put yourself yeah. in. I guess yeah. has your yeah. has your idea of what it means to succeed as an actor or an artist has that evolved or, or changed over the years since you maybe since you started out or coming out of um, drama school in whatever it was seven or eight years ago to where you find yeah. yourself now um I think it definitely has shifted um uh, on one on one side there's there's still a lot to learn on one side on another it has definitely shifted and and the thing is, sometimes we forget that you know three months ago we were on that show sometimes we forget that five months ago we were in five episodes of that thing that we did. And so all we do is we worry about the little no, um, the little things that that audition that we didn't do too well in or, or that thing that could have been but wasn't. And we forget to just actually zoom out of our own timeline and look at it as a whole. And if there's anything that I've learned, it's that. 
it's that don't measure it by what audition you you know wasn't successful like how can you say that one audition means nothing compared to everything else that you've done and I look at you know and, and go back and look oh, you got a couple of commercials you made some money like you you know you were in that show for an episode you were in that show for five, like I said five episodes zoom out and look at it as a whole don't single don't choose single events to define your your success or your career as an actor mm. and that's probably what i've what i've come away with i just sort of got to step back and go mm, nah, on what one no is going to actually get you down and piss you off you know in comparison to everything else that you did which is which was great you were happy when you got that so why are you saying that this one thing that you didn't get is now the be all or end all it's very easy to get swept up in the kind of minutiae of the day-to-day realities as opposed to looking at, you know, the bigger picture, like you say. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We put all this emphasis on this one job or this one audition and it's like, come on, you know. Um, you're upset about a job you never had in the first place, <laughs> which sounds kind of crazy if you think about it. I read it somewhere recently. It's like, why are you upset about that audition? You never had the job. You were just going for the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Maha, for uh, for sharing your story. I'm very grateful for your time yeah. and and for being so open uh, about your experiences. Um, my I, pleasure. I uh, I finish all of my podcasts with the same question. Question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Probably that I'm just so bloody indecisive and I'm so up and down. But I don't know if that's a silly thing. I've got to think about that. <laughs> Why is this, of all the questions that you've asked me, is this one the hardest one to answer? It's, it's kind of ironic that you're being indecisive with your answer. <laughs> okay, what makes me silly is the fact that I am a scatterbrain that has way too many ideas that are way too big for my own little head. And they don't stop. And I'm a crazy insomniac person. <laughs> <laughs> I've discovered that a lot of people who are creatives are... I know. I know. Because we don't stop, and um, we ju- I just don't stop. Every day, and there's an uh, every day. It's about five or six ideas that are born, and you're like, okay, what are we going to focus on? And sometimes nothing gets done, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some days everything gets done. Sometimes, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maha. <laughs> Pleasure, Al. <laughs>